guess you would call them quirks, maybe some strange things that my kids may not totally understand. Um, for example, if my kids are running in the house and they're not supposed to be running in the house, I'm not exactly upset about that. I'll try to get them to stop. But you let one of them get hurt running in the house, and guess what? They are in trouble. I mean, like, bad trouble. My kids, they, they get in trouble when they disobey the rules, but when they get hurt, it's like a whole different level. They, they get in big trouble just for being hurt. There's just something about seeing my children hurt that just it does something on the inside. And I don't know if you guys experience that or not, but Crystal will tell Zoe, she'll say, Now, Zoe, you better stop that, because if you don't, you're going to get hurt, and what's going to happen? She'll say, Daddy is going to get mad. And she's right, I will, every single time. Because the, the truth is, is I don't care so much about them running in the house as I do about them getting hurt. I just don't like it. And, and what I want us to see this morning is that there's a lot of similarity between that and the way that God acts with us, the way that God responds to us, the, the rules that he gives us, the laws that he gives us, the things that he calls us to do, many of them are simply to keep us from getting hurt, to keep us from hurting ourselves. God doesn't like to see us hurt ourselves. I, I, I know I, I like to spend a lot of time and emphasize God's grace, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his kindness, because I, I really feel like that's the, the bit of the Bible, I feel like that's the emphasis. But but the also, it's also true that God is every bit as just. He's every bit as true, and He expects us to obey Him every bit as much as He shows us mercy and grace. In fact, that's a lot of the way that we see His mercy and grace come out as Him forgiving us, even though we disobey Him. And, and so, while on the one hand it is true that God is infinitely mercy, merciful, merciful and gracious, it is also true that He demands. Our obedience, and that's what we're going to see in chapter one. Uh, if you if you want a big idea uh, this morning from Jonah chapter one, it's this: God rules over the entire creation, the entire created order, and He expects everyone everywhere to worship Him and obey Him. God rules everything; He is everywhere, and He expects everyone and everything to obey and worship Him. The guy that we're going to talk about this morning, this man named Jonah, the the man that this book is named after, uh, is a prophet. He's a guy who's charged with telling people what God has said and what God expects. In fact, in 2 Kings 14.25, you can see him talking to a man named Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was a, uh, a king of Israel that lived uh, in the northern kingdom. He ruled the northern kingdom during a time when Israel had become very wicked. They had disobeyed God. They'd run away from God. They'd done all sorts of things that God told them not to do, and they did it anyway. And as a result of that, they had lost some land. They had lost some privilege. And so Jonah shows up, and he begins to preach to them, and he begins to say to them, Hey, listen, guys, even though you've done this, God's going to give you back some of this land that you lost. Even though you've disobeyed me, even though you've disobeyed God, God is still going to be gracious to you. He's not done with you yet. And so God sends Jonah to speak this word to Israel. This is basically his job, to speak God's commands and to tell of God's grace. Well, the people of Israel don't listen. They, they weren't very good listeners. They didn't obey God very well. And so God removes his hand from them, and the Assyrians come in, and they begin to attack uh, Israel. They begin to attack the northern kingdom until just a generation or two after Jonah's gone, Israel's wiped out. The northern kingdom is gone. The Assyrians have come in and wiped them out. And so during the time period where Assyria is really rising to power, this, this nation that is known for just being wicked, 
evil people, mean people. They are terrifying. They, they take pride in terrifying the people that they're attacking. Uh, during this time period is when God speaks to this man named Jonah. And this is what he says in Jonah chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Am, uh, Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Father, I pray that you'd be with us. God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray that you would speak in this place today and that we would hear from you. Lord, I pray that, um, that you would reveal to us where we're running from you and where we need to serve you and where we need to turn around and come back to you. God, we need your help in this. I need your help to share your word. Uh, and we all need your help to listen. And so, Father, I pray that you would strengthen us in this place and that we would worship you through the way that we respond to you. Lord, help us to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And you, as we read this passage, I couldn't help but think about something that I've wanted in the past and maybe you do. Have you ever wanted God to speak verbally to you and say, this is what I want you to do? Here's when I want you to go. Here's where I want you to go. And here, I'll even tell you what to say when you get there. That would be kind of nice, right? Like, God, just write it in the sky. Tell me where, what I'm supposed to do, when I'm supposed to do it, where it is, and what you want me to say. That would be pretty nice. Except for when God tells you to do what He wants you to do, when He wants you to do it, what He wants you to say, and it's not what you want to do. And you have clear-cut information, this is what God wants you to do, and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I thought He was going to tell me to go get some ice cream or something. What do you mean uh, you want me to go over here and do this? Well, that's exactly what happens to Jonah. Jonah is told from the Lord, this is what I want you to do, and Jonah says, mm, I think I'm going to run the other direction. When we look at this passage of Scripture, when God says to Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh, this word arise, it has behind it the, the idea of make it choppy, make it snap, snap, like, you know, get up and go. I, I mean now, move it now. And so it's this urgent call on Jonah to do something, and this something that he's supposed to do is go to Nineveh. Nineveh's this great city. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Remember, Assyria is the people that are pillaging, destroying, raping, and killing the people of Israel. And God says, I want you to go to their capital city. I want you to go to the central part of their nation, and I want you to cry out against it. In fact, I want you to tell them that their sin has come up before me. And when it says their sin has come up before me, we get this word picture of an aroma floating up through the air to, into your nostrils. You all ever have a smell kind of do that? You know, it's like, ooh, what was that? God is basically saying, go to Nineveh and tell these people that they stink to high heaven. Go to your sworn enemies, the people that are killing your countrymen, and tell them that God is coming. Tell them that judgment is coming. That's what you're supposed to do, Jonah. Which, by the way, Jonah is gifted to do. That's what he does for a living. He's a prophet of God. He goes and tells people what God has said and what they should do as a result of what God has said. So he's sort of cut out for this. But look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee, <laughs> to run to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
Now, I don't know if you've read much in the Old Testament about these people who are called prophets, these men of God who speak for God, but typically what happens is God will show up and He'll tell these men, I want you to go say this, this, and this, and one of two things happens, right? Either you have people like Isaiah who will say, here, my Lord, send me. Or you'll have someone like Moses who's like, mm, send somebody else. But either they argue or they go. Jonah doesn't do either. He's like, here am I, I'm out. Like, I'm gone. I'm not going to do what you told me to do. I'm not even going to talk about it. It's not even a discussion, God. I'm leaving. In fact, I'm going to run away from you. I'm going to run away from your presence. We learn later, I mean, immediately we think, oh, he's afraid. He's afraid of the Assyrians. He's afraid of going to Nineveh. He's afraid of what they might do to him when he gets there. When you get to the end of the book, you find out it's not fear that drives him, it's hatred. See, Jonah knows something about God. He knows that God is merciful. And Jonah also knows that if God wanted to destroy Nineveh, he could destroy Nineveh. Why would he need to send a prophet first? Because God has something else in mind for Nineveh. He wants to warn them and give them a chance to repent. And Jonah's not going to have any part of that. He doesn't want them to repent. He doesn't want to see God's grace on these people. He wants to see them destroyed. And we'll talk about that more in a week or two. And so rather than obeying God, he runs from God because he feels like God doesn't know what's best. He feels like God doesn't have the answer. And so he runs away from the presence of the Lord. He runs away from the presence of the Lord. Well, Jonah's a prophet of God. He knows who God is and he knows what God does and he knows that God is what we call omnipresent or present everywhere. He is everywhere, but he's going to try and run from God's presence. As you can't. No matter how far you run, you're still as close to God as you were when you started running. And so he tries to run from God's will for his life, just like we do. You know, we try all we can to get away from God, but no matter where you go, there he is. Just sitting there waiting on you, calling you back to himself. But Jonah, he runs, and he runs. Some have pointed out that he goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. He points out how uh, the author here is emphasizing the fact that when we run from God, we're always going down. We're always headed in a downward spiral. I mean, we can try and dodge God. We can try and get away from God. We can try and remove ourselves from the people of God, just like Jonah tries to do. But you can't escape him. He's everywhere. He is all places at all times. But Jonah tries. He tries to get away from him, and he just can't. And so Jonah is running from God, and he's thinking, hey, you know what? It's all about me. I can do what I want. I'm not hurting anybody else. And then we come to verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a, a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, in verse 6, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah thought that it was all about him and that he wasn't hurting anybody around him. The truth is, is that these sailors would disagree. They were doing their job. They were minding their business. They were just doing what God, I mean, what they were, you know, what they did for a living. 
And Jonah enters into the scene, and all of a sudden, because of Jonah's disobedience, these men are in danger as well. Jonah has brought his troubles with them, with them, with him into their life. And here they are, they're calling out to every God they can think of to save him, save themselves. And, and it says here that the boat is threatening to break up. It's thinking about it, like it's the next step for the boat is to break up and to, to break into pieces. And so they're all calling out to these different gods because they feel like maybe one of their gods is the right god that's going to help them. Then they find this guy named Jonah asleep in the bottom of the boat. It's pretty crazy, right? He's asleep. He's hiding. He's trying to get away. And so this guy comes and he says, Arise, call out to your God. Maybe he's the one who can save us. Of course, by this point, Jonah's cost them their livelihood. They've thrown their cargo overboard. I mean, if you're a sailor and you're a cargo ship going from one place to the next, how do you make money? Well, when you make port, you sell the goods that you have or you get paid for transporting the goods for someone else. Well, they've thrown all that overboard on account of Jonah at this point. It's cost Jonah his, um, the fare to get to Tarshish, someplace that he never actually gets to. And so he, he runs from God and it ends up costing him more than he ever imagined. It ends up costing everyone in his life. And, and the same thing is true in our lives, isn't it? When we run from God, we see God's Word, and we see what God tells us to do, and we don't obey God's Word, what happens? Is it free? Do we get a free ride? Do we get a free pass? How many sleepless nights has running from God cost us? How many in our family has it cost us? How has it cost, us, cost you your job? What, what is running from God costing you this morning? What storm has He brought into your life to, to say, hey, Look up. Turn around. What's it going to take to get your attention? For Jonah, it was this man shaking him and saying, Hey, get up. Now, you've got to remember, these men are so desperate, they're throwing all their livelihood over the side, looking for any way to survive. This would be a good place for Jonah, the man of God, to step up and say, Hey, everything's going to be okay. I know the one God of the universe. Let me help you all out. But instead, Jonah's asleep. Jonah's somewhat of a punk, right? I mean, he's not really worried about anybody but himself. And the captain's like, man, what are you doing? Here we are dying and you don't care? You're taking a nap? He says, maybe your God is the one who will help us. You need to pray to God. When I read that, that that's extremely convicting. This man who didn't believe in God, this man who was a pagan, this man who was not a part of the people of God, tells the man of God, hey, maybe you should start praying. When the world around us begins to remind us that we ought to pray, something's wrong, right? You see, Jonah, Jonah's first thought was not, hey, I need to talk to God about this. Jonah's first thought was, I need to get as far away from everyone I possibly can because I don't want to deal with it. And so he continues to try and run away. I mean, you think about it. I, I know in my own personal experience, when I'm running from God, the last person I want to talk to is God. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. I know like when I, same way, like when I wrecked Dad's truck that time, and the last person I want to talk to is Dad. When I skip out on curfew and came in late, the last person I want to see is my folks. But I'm sure none of y'all ever did anything like that, and I can feel your judgment. But, but when we're running from God, the last person we want to talk to is God. When God wants us to do something, the last person we want to talk to is Him. Like that person that you know is going to help, ask you to help them move, like you try to avoid them that whole month ahead of time. That's sort of what Jonah's doing here. He knows what God wants from him. He knows what God has called him to do. But instead of talking to him, he's hiding from him. 
And so this man who doesn't even believe in God says, Arise, O sleeper, call out to your God. And Jonah continues to ignore God. Up to this point, we see that God, even though He is faithful, when we run from Him, it costs us. It may cost us everything. It may cost the people in our lives everything. Uh, and I also want to tell you this morning, and I don't know how to put it other than just to say that running from God is dumb. Like God is in control of everything. To think that we can get away from Him? I mean, think about it. It's sort of like running on a treadmill expecting to get somewhere. Or getting on one of those stationary bikes just pedaling away, getting it, right? How far are you going to get, really? The little counter may tell you you went somewhere. But are you actually going to make any distance? How are you going to get further away from the one who is everywhere? You can't. Not only that, God is in control of everything. He has sent the storm. And then also, look at verse 7. <clears throat> and they said to one another, talking about the sailors, come let us cast lots, dice basically, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? What do you do for a living? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So God causes the dice to fall on Jonah. It causes them to understand that he's the reason and the cause of their pain. And then they're basically asking, what's the name of your God? You see, these people would have thought about gods in the terms of regional. And so they would have thought, okay, well, this God over here, he's the God over this region. And this God over here, he's the God of this region. And if this God's more powerful than this God, then this country can take over this country. That's how they think about gods in Jonah's day. And so they want to know, who's your God and how can we get him to stop trying to kill us? That's what they're asking. And so look at verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And so Jonah says, Yeah, you know, y'all talk about these regional gods. I don't really serve a regional God. I serve the one true God. The God who's over all land, the God who's over all sea, the God who reigns in heaven. He's above all other gods. He's the God I serve. He's the one who's in control of everything. He's actually the God I'm running from. I'm actually trying to get away from Him. To which the men are terrified. You can imagine they are afraid because He's just told them, yeah, I serve the one true God. And they're like, where are you headed then? Like if he's God over the land, he's God over the sea, he's God over everybody else. Where exactly do you expect to get to? They're afraid because they realize this is a mess that Jonah's got them in. And so we come to verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Then in verse 13, the response of the men to Jonah's request is, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And so they say, these men who don't know God, say to Jonah, How can we be obedient to your God? 
That's somewhat ironic, right? Here, this man of God who's supposed to be telling people the commands of God is running from God. And these people who don't know God say, how can we be faithful? How can we be obedient to your God? What can we do to serve Him? What can we do to obey Him? And Jonah's response is, throw me in the sea and everything will be all right. Throw me in the sea and everything will be okay. Jonah's response is not, take me to Nineveh. It's not, turn this boat around. It's not, well, let me pray and ask for forgiveness. No, his response is, I would rather die than serve the God of the universe. I would rather drown in the sea than do what he told me to do. Guys, when you get to that place in your life of running away from God, of saying, I would rather continue in my disobedience and die than serve Him. I want you to understand that things won't get better until you stop running. Things won't get better until you turn and obey. Things won't get better until you repent. I mean, look at what these men do. It says that they rode hard to get back to dry land. They tried their best to save themselves and Jonah. These are, these are men who are trying to be good people. They're trying to help Jonah out. They don't want to throw this guy overboard. And so they row harder, and the harder they row, the harder the wind blows. No matter what they do, Jonah's not getting out of this storm. And so we come to verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. You notice the first people who pray here is not Jonah. It's the pagan sailors. O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so basically they say, hey, listen, God, um, we don't want to be to blame for this man's um, death, you're doing this, this is on you. This crazy little guy has told us that the only way to get out of this is to throw him overboard. So this is on you, not on us. We just want to be clear on the subject. We've done everything we can to save him. And he says, this is what you want. And so we're going to throw him overboard. As I was looking at that passage, God just brought to my mind the way that sometimes we have folks in our life that we, we feel responsible for and we want to help and we want to see uh, change. We want to see return to the Lord. And no matter what we do, it's like they won't listen. No matter what we do, it's like they won't respond. No matter how we they try to get through to them, it's like there's nothing we can do. Sometimes the best thing we can possibly do is just say, Lord, they're yours. You're going to have to do something with them because I sure can't was talking this morning in Sunday school a little about that, about um, I remember before I came to know Christ just how defiant I was towards the Lord. And it didn't matter what anybody said. I wasn't going to obey. I was just being rebellious and stubborn, uh, stupid stubbornness maybe. I don't Stupidly stubborn maybe would be the way to say it. But it didn't matter. I mean, I, I don't care who spoke into my life. Nothing was going to change until... God got a hold of me. And I know that's true for all of us, but some of us are a little more dense than others. And so sometimes the best thing we can possibly do is say, you know what, Lord? I did the best I can do. The rest is up to you. 
In fact, that's probably the best thing to say all the time. And so they, they give up, and they give Jonah the old heave-ho. Over the side he goes, and into the water, and as soon as he goes into the water, the storm stops. The water's fine, the, the storm is gone. These men look at what's happened, and they say, oh, this is a real God. This is real power. He's the one true God. We need to worship Him. It says that they made vows. They dedicate themselves to the Lord. We don't know to what extent, but it appears that they become believers in the Lord, which is really amazing because the whole point of Jonah's trip is he didn't want to tell anybody but Israel about God and His grace. He didn't want to tell anybody but Israel that God is a saving God, that God is the God to worship. And so their response to God intervening and God not judging them but removing the storm is, oh, we need to worship Him. We need to dedicate ourselves to this God. And so they do. They, in verse 16, they, they worship the Lord. They make themselves dedicated uh, to the Lord in spite of Jonah. Not because of Jonah, in spite of Jonah. Which, by the way, proves that God can use anyone. He can even use you, no matter how rebellious you are. And God's message is also simple to us, which is it doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter what your background is. He wants to save you and he wants to forgive you. Even if you have really terrible Christians in your life, he can still save you. And so these men look at the evidence of who God is and how amazing he is, and they say, and they say the only thing we can do is trust on this one true God. And so they do. And, and, and so I, I just want to give us a couple of challenges as we end out this morning before we go. First, I just want to say that, that God has spoken to us clearly in His Word. There are some things He's told us to do and some things He's told us not to do. We don't have to pretend like we are unclear on those things. He's made them very clear. We don't have to understand them. We don't even necessarily have to like them, but we are called to obey Him. And if we refuse to obey, guess what's going to happen? We're going to pay the cost. It's going to hurt us. There's, that's guaranteed. There's no doubt about it. So when we refuse to obey the Lord, things don't go well. So we listen to the Lord. And then secondly, I want to say don't run from God. God's everywhere. He made everything. No matter where you go, you can't escape Him. He's always going to be there. So stop trying to get away from Him. Whatever He's saying to you this morning, stop and do it. Or at least stop and talk to Him about it. That's why I call it talk. I don't call it argue. I talk to Him about those things. But... But talk to him. Talk it out. Spend some time in prayer. Don't let somebody else tell you you ought to be praying. You pray. You spend time uh, in the Word. You spend time on your knees. You spend time talking to the Lord. When's the last time that you just spent some time talking to him and talking through these things that you don't really want to talk about? Then also, he calls us to share his good news. He calls us to share his word with the people around us who need to hear. These, these pagan men, uh, it looks like they at least got a good witness, if not became believers because of what Jonah did. In spite of him, don't let it be in spite of you that God brings people to himself. Go out and purposely share the gospel. When's the last time you shared the good news of God's love with someone? And then finally, I just want to say to you that God wants to forgive you. He wants to show you His grace. It's not a question. It's clear in God's Word that that's what He wants to do. You see, the, the good news of God, from God, is actually really simple. But we've all come up short. We've all missed the mark. We've all missed the boat when it comes to obeying Him. 
We've not one of us have done right. In fact, you could say that our sin, like Nineveh's, stinks to high heaven. We've been disobedient. We've disobeyed him. And our disobedience, since it is against an eternal God, deserves an eternal punishment. Jesus says that even every idle word we'll give account for. There is nothing we can do to fix what we have done. And God, as the just judge of the universe, must punish our sin. Someone has to pay. Someone has to pay that price. Doesn't sound like super good news, right? The good news is, is that God did pay for our sin. That God sent Jesus, his son, to give us the good news. Unlike Jonah, Jesus came with joy. He came willingly. He was born as a real-life human being, and he lived a perfect life in every way, a life that we are supposed to live but never can. He did in our place, and at the end of that life, he went to the cross, and as he went to the cross, he died on the cross, and as he died on the cross, the Bible tells us that he was paying for our sins. He was paying for our transgressions, that God was taking our sins and putting them on him. It says that he traded us our sins for his righteousness. He traded us our shame for his purity. He traded us our unholiness for his holiness. As he was dying on the cross, God was laying on him the charges that are against us. He was punishing him in our place. And Jesus died on the cross and he was buried. And then three days later, he rose again and living forever. And he offers to anyone who will follow him eternal life, forgiveness, peace with God. He says, whoever wants this, whoever wants this forgiveness, all they've got to do is come after me. All they have to do is believe on me and they will have it. And so this morning, if you've never trusted on Christ, if you're not running away from God, maybe you've never even thought about God. Maybe you're like these sailors, just doing what you're supposed to do. I want to tell you that God wants to forgive you, that He wants to save you, that He wants to give you peace and security, that He wants to introduce you to the one true God of the universe that can actually do something. Would you trust on him this morning? Would you stop running? And if you are a believer this morning, if you have trusted on him, are you running from him? So you look at your life, are you saying, you know what, God, I know what you want me to do, but it's not what I want to do, so I'm just going to head on out, and I'm not really going to talk to you about it anymore. Is that what you have done? Look at your life and ask yourself, where am I running from God? And if you're running, will you turn back this morning and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to, to run with you. Help me to, to follow back after you. I'm going to ask you to stand. And as you stand, I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, I, I want you to ask yourself, where am I running from the Lord? Father, I, I pray that you would just, God, that you would open our eyes. Make us aware of the places in our heart and the places in our life where we, we are running where we're not being obedient, where we are failing, where we're not uh, listening. Lord, don't let us be like Jonah that runs away. God, help us to, to have the courage and then give us the grace we need to stand and, and, and talk to you, talk through these things with you. Lord, help us to, to have the, the understanding to, to know that we need to turn back to you. And Lord, I pray that you would make it very clear and very, make us very aware of your grace in our life this morning. And God, I pray for those who don't know you. Lord, I pray that they would see in you the one true God who offers eternal life and salvation and forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that they would come to know you. God, that they would see your grace and they would see your mercy and they would see the cross and they would see the salvation that you offer and that they would receive it with joy and gladness. 
God, I pray that they would follow after you. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who lead others to you. Not in spite of us, but because of what you do through us. God, help us to use our voices in our lives to see other people come to know you and know you better. Help us to stop running this morning, Lord. Help us to follow you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If God is speaking in your life this morning, would you come as we sing? Come every soul by Thank you, guys.